How many of you who watch television have seen the Capital One Charles Barkley commercial? Raise your hand. It's okay. Watch TV sometimes. Anybody? Not that many of you. Okay, I'll explain it to you. The Capital One guy comes on and he says, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than this. And then the, the commercial cuts to a scene where these like second graders are playing basketball. And, and one of the captains, it's his turn to pick who's on his team. And there's like three or four other short little second graders and Charles Barkley. And the kid says, I'll take Charles. And the Capital One guy says, yes, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions, even easier than choosing Charles Barkley over those other short kids. Well, I have to respectfully disagree with the Capital One guy. I believe there is a, a decision that should be even easier if we take the time to really think about the truth of it. And, and here's the decision I'm talking about. Will I trust in God for my salvation or will I trust in myself? Now, if we know the truth of the Bible, that should be the easiest decision in the world. But it gets interesting because I'm not just talking about how we start the life of salvation. I'm talking about how we live out the life of salvation and how we know that it's secure until that day when we are fully redeemed, body, soul, and spirit. Am I trusting in, in God as I live it out today or myself? I think that should be an easy decision because I know some things about God from his word. I also know some things about myself. I know there are times I can't even get the grocery list right. <laughs> I know there are times I can't help my boys with their math homework. And that's not to mention there are many times in my life where I find myself confessing sin to God because I have fallen short of his standard. I don't know if it was up to me, I'd be in trouble. The easy decision is to put my trust in God for the beginning, the living out, and the finish of my salvation. Let me tell you a couple of things about God. I told you about me. 1 Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's, there's the beginning, right? Now our role is to receive that by faith, but it's His work. Okay, He has caused us to be born again. Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. How is it kept in heaven for us? Kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's not just that he started it. He is guarding you, believer, until that day. God is powerful. If I want somebody guarding me to make sure I get to that day, it's him. What great news is that? Jesus Christ 
We trust him, many of us, for salvation at the cross. But what about the, the living out and the completion of our salvation? What does Hebrews 7.25 say? He is able to save to the uttermost. Some translations say to save completely those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. If it's between me and God, I'm choosing God because he's the trustworthy one. He's the faithful one. He's the one who has the power to get the job done. Should be the easiest decision in the history of decisions, but human beings tend to complicate things because of our pride and our fallenness and our sinfulness. So as I speak this morning, I talk to two groups. There may be some here who are not yet come to Jesus for salvation. And you're thinking, what am I going to trust in to be right with God for eternity, to spend eternity in heaven? There are those of us who have trusted in Jesus, but I'm talking to you too, because I want to ask you, did you start by faith, but now you're just kind of gritting your teeth in your own power, looking at the rules in here, saying, boy, I got to do something to, to live for God in my own flesh. I got to hold on to this salvation or I'm in trouble. You living by faith or you living by works in the flesh? That's what Paul deals with in Galatians 3. We don't only start by the Spirit of God, by faith. Believers should, should live the walk by faith in the power of the Spirit and finish in the power of the Spirit as well. Let's go Galatians 3.1. It's an easy decision in Paul's mind. That's why he says what he says to the Galatians there. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. Now, I don't think there's any Sunday where I've ever stood up here and said, hey, you foolish people. <laughs> Some of you might not come back, but that's what Paul does here to the church in Galatia. He says, you're foolish. Who has bewitched you? It's almost like they're under some kind of weird spell. He says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Paul had been there. He had preached Jesus crucified and raised again. And they had put their faith in that gospel for their salvation. He said, you were there when that happened. Why is he calling foolish now? Why does he say you're bewitched? Because the false teachers have come in and said, no, that's not enough. It's not enough to trust in Jesus. You've got to carry out the law of Moses. Man, you've got to be circumcised and, and you've got to follow that law. If you're going to be saved and they started to fall under that spell that can happen today, too, whether through false preaching or Satan's whispers in our ears. No, Jesus isn't enough. There must be more. You've got to do something to earn your salvation. Verse two, he says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith. And there are a couple phrases and words in there that are going to come up again. Receive. We receive good gifts from God, including salvation. And he talks about by hearing with faith. That's how we receive these gifts from God. We hear His promises and we put our faith in them. You say, what is faith? Well, it's knowing the promises it's assenting that they're true, but Satan checks both those boxes. James tells us the demons believe and shudder, but are the demons saved? 
<laughs> no, that, that's an easy one. <laughs> okay. Knowledge, assent, and trust. Trust in a relationship with God through Jesus, relying on His promises. That's faith. Hearing with faith is important. Reading God's Word and putting our faith in the promises. Hearing the preaching of God's Word. Putting our faith in the promises. Verse 3, he'd come back around again. He's fired up. He says, are you so foolish? Because they should have remembered when the Spirit came on them, it was by faith. They did not do anything to earn the Holy Spirit. They believed and they received the Holy Spirit. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit back then, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You started by faith. You started relying on God. And, and now you're listening to these guys that are telling you there's got to be more. You have to do something in your own power. And he says, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? What's he talking about there? When you preach the true good news of Jesus Christ, that salvation is in him and him alone, you will be persecuted and often by other religious people. That's what happened to Paul when he preached it here. He got stoned, left for dead when he preached it here. And these people were being persecuted because they were preaching that too. He said, did you suffer that in vain? If it was in vain? Why does he talk about the Holy Spirit so much here? We already talked about the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is God. Every bit as much as the Father is God and the Son is God. And sometimes, unfortunately, we forget the Holy Spirit. The importance of the Holy Spirit, God living in us. We talked about who we trust, God or ourselves. The Holy Spirit is the one who carries out many of the I wills that God says when he says there's a new covenant. Not just for Israel, but for all who believe. There needed to be a new covenant because our I will didn't work. The human I will failed. Okay? So all these I wills are mentioned in Hebrews 8, in the new covenant. When Jesus spoke of a new covenant in his blood, this is the new covenant. And you know who's saying all the I wills here? Is it the people? Is it you and me? Is it the people Paul's writing to? No, who's saying the I wills? God. God is saying the I wills. Okay? Hebrews 8, 8 through 10. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. No, no longer is the law of God, the, the, the commands of God out here. It's in here. By the Holy Spirit. Okay? I will be their God and they shall be my people. There's this relationship going on on a new level. Because God will. Verse 11. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. That's true of the church. All true believers know the Lord. Through the Holy Spirit. Verse 12. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities. And I will remember their sins no more. 
thank God for the sacrifice of Christ that makes that a reality. But I think about the Holy Spirit, God living in us. I, I think about somebody I met this week. I was at a camp out with Evan, sixth grade camp out one night, and uh, we were at the breakfast table in the morning, and this was the most amazing camp breakfast I've ever seen, eggs and pancakes and bacon. And there was another dad there on the trip who were, were at the breakfast line, and, and he pulls out two things out of his two pockets. He pulls out hot sauce and something called scorpion salt. He says, you want some? I'm like, I'll take some of the hot sauce. What's that? It's scorpion salt. He says, it's got ghost pepper and other stuff. I don't like to be without it. Pretty cool. He always wants to make sure his hot sauce and scorpion salt's on board. He even got me to try hot sauce and orange juice, which I don't recommend that. But pretty cool that he always has it on board. All right. And I'm thinking as cool as that is, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, guess what? You always have God on board. Wherever you're at, not just in this service on Sunday mornings, wherever you go, God, the Holy Spirit is on board. He lives in you. And you say, well, what does he do in all of this salvation thing and bringing about this new covenant? Well, I want to talk about his role just briefly in the beginning, in the living out, and the finish of our salvation. The beginning, I'm going to use an acronym. I believe it was Charles Ryrie who originated it. The acronym is RIBS. When you come to salvation in Christ, you receive the gospel by faith. There's some things that happen from the Holy Spirit. Ribs, the R. Regeneration. What's that mean? He brings you from spiritual death to spiritual life. This is what Jesus talked about to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You must be born again or born from above. You have to be born by the Spirit and water. There's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He sets up camp in believers permanently. You know what's cool about that? In the Old Testament, he would come and go. He would come on an individual for a certain purpose, but there's no guarantee that he was staying. I think about this and I think about the disciples in the upper room. They struggled with how awesome this was going to be because Jesus was telling them, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again and I'm going to ascend to heaven. And what's their natural reaction after being with him for those three years? They're sad, right? They don't want him to leave, but he says, hey, you don't understand. If I go, it will be to your advantage because I will send the Holy Spirit. What's the advantage? I will send the Holy Spirit to be in you. As awesome as those three years with Jesus were, he was not in them. They were only with him. And some have well pointed out that if you compare like Peter and John in the Gospels with the Peter and John in Acts and in the letters that they write, the Gospels that they write, you'll see a marked difference. They have become much more like Christ. What do we credit that to? What happened? They were no longer just with Jesus. The God, the Holy Spirit was in them enabling them to become more like the Savior they love. So regeneration, indwelling, baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believe this is something that happens to every believer in Jesus Christ the moment they come to faith in Him. Why do I believe that? Because of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. 
He uses the word all. He says, all are baptized into one body in the Spirit. All means all. There aren't some believers baptized in the Holy Spirit into the body. They're all baptized. He seals us for eternity. I'll talk about that more when we talk about the finish. But how cool, right? Can you remember that, ribs? Okay. What about the living out? Like most of us, if we're honest, we, we know we still got this flesh that we battle with every day. And we know it's a, it's a battle to be more like Christ in this fallen world, right? We got the Holy Spirit, but we got this flesh. How do I become more like Christ? That's also by the Spirit. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. Whose image? Christ's image. From one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So you want to become more like Christ. It's not going to come from your own grit and I've got to go do it. It's by depending on the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, faith in the Spirit within you. We'll talk about fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. There are gifts of the Spirit. Those don't come by our own power. They come by God's power. You say, what does the Holy Spirit have to do with the, the guarantee of the finish that I'm going to get there? How do, how do I know I can bank on it, that I'm going to be there in glory? Well, Ephesians 4.30, Paul says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. How do we grieve Him? By our sin. Side note, that tells us He's not just a force like electricity or something. You can't grieve electricity. You can't grieve an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is God. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What's that mean? Sealed for the day of redemption. Well, obviously that's looking to that day when our bodies are glorified, right? Body, soul, and spirit, we're there. It's completed. What's it mean to be sealed? Well, often in those days when they would send a letter, a ruler would close it, and he would put some melted wax on there, and he would put his symbol into that wax. And that was to guarantee that that letter would get where it was going. And nobody was to open it except for the person who was intended to open it. The cool thing about us being sealed in the Spirit is, guess what? If we're letters from God, in God's great plan, we're letters from God to God. And the fact that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit guarantees that we are going to be there. In fact, Ephesians 1 calls Him our guarantee. One of the Greek words is Erebon for guarantee. You know what that meant in Greek? Engagement ring. Have you ever thought of the Holy Spirit as God's engagement ring? If you have the Holy Spirit in you, and every believer does, Romans makes that clear. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. If you have the Holy Spirit within you, God has given you His engagement ring. What's an engagement ring do? It guarantees there's a wedding coming. Now, you might say there's some guys that break that guarantee. Yeah, humans break it sometimes. Is God the kind of guy that breaks his guarantees? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. So that's just a quick overview of the Holy Spirit's work. But I pray you'll study your New Testament and become more familiar with the Holy Spirit who lives in you. So you live by faith in His, his power within you. Now I want to talk about faith or works, though, because this is another 
big theme in here. Verse 5 in Galatians 3. Says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you... And time out. Does anybody else feel hot? Can somebody please turn that air down back there? <laughs> Thank you. Maybe down to like 72. I don't know why that thing's on 78. Thank you, Robin. Woo! I'm about to have to get one of those handkerchiefs like them television <laughs> preachers. <laughs> All right, back to it. <laughs> Want to talk about faith or works? What's your walk characterized by? Faith in God and His promises or self-powered works? Verse 5, Paul says to them, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? Did you guys do something so that God would give you the Holy Spirit and do these cool, miraculous things? They would, if they were honest, have to say, No, we just believed and, and God showed up and started doing this stuff. Right? Is that how you got it? Or... By hearing with faith. There's that phrase again. I told you that come up again. Hearing God's promises and trusting in them. They would have to say, yeah, that was how. We heard it and we believed. And then he has this great word picture from the Old Testament. Verse 6, he says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Was it Abraham's works that, that made him right before God? No. No, it says he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, you guys know what he believed him about, right? Abraham, even though you're 100, Sarah's 90, I'm going to give you a son. And, and through you, you're just, I'm going to bless the whole world through your, through your descendants. 190. Now, at first they both laughed and we can understand why, Right? Because this was not the time in biblical history when people lived to be 900 and that would have been normal. They were old. This was humanly impossible. But he believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 7 says, Know then, Galatians, know then, church next door, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. How many of you went to VBS growing up and heard a song, Father Abraham? Have many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. Mike's looking at me like, stop singing, dude. <laughs> so let's just praise the Lord, right arm, right. And then you get the whole body moving. I'll sing you the whole thing after, okay? He looked like. <laughs> you say, who are the sons of Abraham? Are, are they those who read the law of God and try in their own power to, to do it? No, it's those of faith in God's promise are the sons and daughters of Abraham. Are you a person of faith? Who looks at God's promises and, and receives them, trusts in them. Verse 8 says, The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. I think that's pretty cool. Have you ever thought of yourself, Christian believer, in 2022 in the story of Abraham? That's what Paul's saying. God was preaching the gospel beforehand to Abraham. As he taught him, it was by faith. He was preparing the way for us Gentiles to come to him by faith as well. How special that God already had us in mind. And you shall all the nations be blessed. 
So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. I'd encourage you, go back to Genesis, read the story of Abraham, but also go to Romans. Romans 4. In fact, Galatians is kind of like the Cliff's Notes of Romans. If you want to go more in depth on some of this, read Romans and, and you'll come out with a deeper knowledge. But what's he talking about? He's talking about hearing the promises of God and trusting God, hearing with faith. I want to walk through it, right? Abe and Sarah believed that promise. God did something in them that would not have happened in and of their own power. Okay. Granted, they must have cooperated with the promise. They must have shared in the act of marriage. But I promise you at that age, if it was only up to them, there wasn't going to be any baby. There wasn't going to be any conception. That was an act of God that they received through faith. Think about Mary. Gabriel shows up and she freaks out like a lot of people do when angels show up in the Bible, right? And he says, I got a job for you. You're going to bear the Son of God in flesh and give him birth. Okay, now, now how can Mary give birth to the Son of God in flesh? What was, what was her part in that? It, it was summed up in the words, may it be to me as you have said. Jesus received it with faith. There was nothing she could do to have the Son of God in flesh conceived in her and give him birth. Now, did she cooperate? Oh, yeah, she carried the Son of God for nine months, just like some of you are carrying those babies and went through all those same ups and downs. But I promise you, if it was just up to Mary, she would not be bearing the Son of God. She received that gift by faith. Now, bring that to us. What about us today, believers? How can we be made new creations in Christ in the first place? which is what Corinthians tells us we are. And then how can we live out his life in our lives? The same way those miracles happen. We receive his life by faith and we depend on God to live his life through us. You can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. Some people say the Christian life is hard to live out. And I like what's been said as well. That's a huge understatement. It's impossible. We need God to live his life through us. Our part is faith. We know it. We assent to it. We trust the promises he has made. So if you're saying, I want to be more like Christ in this life, the first answer isn't to make a list of the rules and go and try to complete them in your own power. Some of us have done that. And we banged our heads against enough walls to know that doesn't work. One of the first steps you should take is say, well, what are the promises that I should know and assent to and trust in? You go to places like Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, where it tells us we have every spiritual blessing we need in Christ. Do you know that, assent to it and believe it? That passage also tells us we have been redeemed, bought back from the slave market of sin by the blood of Christ. Been paid for. Paul tells us, I'm a new creation. I am not who I used to be before I came to Christ. Do you trust in that? He tells us we're dead to sin and alive to righteousness. Do you believe that? That temptation shows up. Do you, do you know that? That you're dead to sin. You don't have to say yes. 
When God calls you to do something that's uncomfortable or scary, you have the power of the risen Christ in you through the Holy Spirit to go do it, whether it's talking to that neighbor about Christ or going overseas for Christ. What about this one, the enemy attacks? Do you know what James says, that if I submit to God and resist the devil, he will flee? Some of you are under attack this morning. Doesn't mean he won't come back, but you need to know that. And he said, God, help me submit to you. Is there any area where I'm not? Help me resist the devil with the armor that you've given me. Help me trust your promise that he will flee because you are greater. You know the promise that every believer is an ambassador for Christ? Every one of you, not just pastors up in front of the church. You have the message of reconciliation that God sent His Son to make a way for sinful people to have restored relationship with Him. And that's your role here as long as you're here for those neighbors and friends and, and co-workers and family. But did you know that's who you are? See, if you don't know that, you might not live it out. But if you know it, you're going to say, God, help me. Help me be that ambassador. I think about kind of a, a heavier one, 2 Corinthians this one will speak to those of you going through trials, as we all do. Jesus promised it. I've heard it said that's not one of those promises we're like, Amen, Jesus, thank you. <laughs> Don't see that on t-shirts too much. You will have trials. Take heart, I've overcome the world. Second Corinthians is a great book if you're going through trials, because over and over, Paul talks about how God works in his trials and his brokenness and his weakness. One of the things he says in there is, I carry around the death of Christ in my body so that the life of Christ might be displayed in my life. I think at least some of what that means is there are some times where we're going through situations that are heavy and, and they're weighing on us. And we feel weak and, and broken. And sometimes God takes those away when we pray for Him. He takes away that financial trial or that sickness or that relational situation. But other times, they remain. What do I do then? Well, Lord, I, I feel weak. I feel like I'm dying here. Well, we hold on to the promise Paul mentions later in that book. In my weakness, you are strong. So whatever trial you're going through today, grab onto that promise. Lord, if you choose not to take this away, may the resurrection power of Jesus Christ shine out of this broken vessel. Give me strength and help me remain faithful to you. That's faith and works. I want to talk to you about the fact that there is a curse for those who choose self-reliance. If you choose self-reliance as the path to be right with God, you are under a curse. I don't say that of my own accord. Verse 10, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. As Bill mentioned last week, circumcision is not enough. You're going to go that route. You've got to keep them all. You've got to bat a thousand. You say, come on, God. Isn't that a little strong? Can't you just take it easy? 
Isn't that a little over the top? Listen, I think a lot of us seriously underestimate the holiness of God. God is higher than you. He is higher than me. His ways are higher. He hates sin. He hates sin because it rails against him and who he is. He hates it because of its fallout in this world and in our lives. Look what one sin in the garden wreaked on this planet. And you can look in your own life and I can look in mine at the havoc sin has wreaked. I think to help us understand how he feels about sin, it's not a perfect illustration, but I was thinking about when I was tearing down my tent at that camp out Thursday morning, there was this big white tannish looking spider about that big. I found one on top of the tent, and then as I was looking inside of it, I found another one. And I'll tell you what I did. You close your ears if you love spiders. I, I kicked him out of there with my foot, and I found a stick, and bah! I didn't want to take that thing home. I don't want to pack it in my truck with me. I hate that spider. <laughs> God hates sin. He hates sin. That's why he says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things. Written in the book of the law. Don't count on that. You say, well, what if I didn't grow up Jewish? Like, I don't know the whole law of Moses, all those moral commands. Ain't I off the hook, God? Well, he gives us two reasons we're not off the hook. We are all accountable as human beings to him. The first one is creation. Romans 1 says, you look around at God's creation and something is obvious to everyone with an open heart that there is a God of eternal power and he has a divine nature. Anyone who believes otherwise has made a choice to suppress the truth. Creation holds us accountable. But the other thing is what you see in, in a little kid. You don't have to teach them to do this, but if, if you tell them, hey, uh, you can't have a cookie, and they know where the cookies are, and they go in there to get the cookies, they're all going to be like this, watching. Because even when they're little, they know right and wrong. God put something in here called a conscience. Okay, he, he says in Romans that God's law is written on our hearts. Now, can that conscience be seared by continually ignoring it? Yes, you see that with many people in the world. Can people be given over to delusions because they continue to ignore their conscience? Oh yeah, Romans 1. But guess what? Somewhere along the way, they made the choice to start stop paying attention to that conscience. Creation and conscience makes us all accountable, okay? To stand before God one day and say, I, I didn't know I was a sinner. I didn't know there was a God. It's, it's just kind of like if you're going down Glassford Hill Road in Prescott Valley where it's 45, and not only do they have speed limit signs that say 45, but they have a, a huge uh, electrical thing that if someone's speeding, it, the, it flashes red and blue on the top and says, too fast, slow down. And I only know that because somebody in front of me was 
Let's say you're going 70 through all those signs and you pass that flashing thing and then a police officer pulls you over and you say, I didn't know. What you going to say, Kevin? <laughs> Boy, <laughs> here's your ticket. You knew, you knew darn well. There were plenty of signs along the way. We all know deep down, if we'll take a moment to be honest, we're sinners. We're sinners. And if we rely on... Our, our own ability, we're under a curse. Romans 2.4 says it this way. Do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? What's that mean? It means, you know, the unbelievers going through life and they look around and say, well, yeah, I, you know, have a little guilt in here and I feel a little restless and wish I had more direction and knew what life was all about. But when I look around, I got a roof over my head. I got a wife, got kids, my car's working. The sun comes up every day. You can, you can still see God's kindness because he sends rain and sun on, on all, right? But what's, what's he say? Don't presume on that. That kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Don't think you're okay just because things seem okay on the surface. It's meant to lead you to turn to God. You need Him. Okay? Verse 5 says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. God's wrath is upon you right now, according to John 3, if you don't believe those who don't believe are condemned already. But it's coming in full in the future, the eternity of hell apart from God. I think about it like this. Let's say you're at the bottom of Pikes Peak in Colorado, and, and let's, let's imagine that the snowflakes represent God's wrath, and those snowflakes start falling, and, and gradually they're getting faster and faster, and you think, boy, this is kind of annoying, but it's not so bad. But what happens on those mountains as those snowflakes pile up? What can happen? Avalanche. And create an avalanche that takes out trees and houses and everyone in its path. There's an avalanche of wrath coming for all who rely on their own good works for salvation. I pray that's not you. He goes on to explain why. Verse 11, he says, It's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Now this is a cool verse because he quotes from Habakkuk in the Old Testament. Even in the Old Testament, there was this thread of faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Their faith looked forward to the coming Messiah. Our faith looks back, but salvation has always been by faith. Verse 12, he says, the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. The only problem with that is, has already been mentioned. Nobody does them. Nobody does them all. Okay? So I think about this, and, and I think of a sad story in our community this week. Maybe some of you have read and been praying about it. There was a 74-year-old man up on Mingus Mountain that got lost with his dog. And he had called his wife to ask her to let the authorities know uh, that he was lost. Well, he was found this week dead with his dog who was still alive. 
One paragraph in the article jumped out at me. It says, He was advised to remain where he was to await rescue. Unfortunately, the victim decided against the advice and tried to find his own way out, causing him to become lost further in the forest. Now think about that. Every one of us in this room this morning has been advised to put their faith in Jesus Christ. That is the only rescue. Do not be the one that leaves here and says, I'm not going to choose that path. I'm going to choose my own way out. I'm going to try to be good. I'm going to try not to be bad. I think about Pilgrim's Progress again. You remember a couple weeks ago, we, we talked about how evangelists told Christian, go to the gate. But worldly wise man came along and said, no, no, no. You want to get that burden off? You go to Mr. Legality. He'll help you with your burden. And Christian listened to Mr. Worldly Wise Man. How'd that work out? Well, as he walked to Mr. Legality's house, he came past this huge hill. And the hill represents God's commands and our failure to keep them. Okay? And he, it says he was afraid to venture further lest the hill should fall on his head. His burden seemed heavier to him. There also came flashes of fire out of the hill that made Christian afraid he should be burned. He sweat and did quake for fear. And now he began to be sorry that he had taken Mr. Worldly Wise Man's counsel. Thank God evangelist came back along and said, what are you doing over here? Go back to the gate. Go to the gate. And he did. There's another example of that later on in the book. Christian had a, a friend named Faithful. And Moses keeps coming up behind Faithful and, and punching him and, and beating him. Moses. And it happens time and time and time again to Faithful. Moses is just taking him down. <laughs> and he's left for, for dead. But it says at the end, when I came to myself again, I cried him mercy. I cried, mercy, Moses, mercy, Moses. But it says, Moses said, I, I know not how to show mercy. And with that, he knocked me down again. He had doubtless made an end of me, except one came by and bid him stop. Who is it that bids Moses stop? John 1.17 the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace, God's undeserved favor, and truth come through Jesus Christ. So just as there's a curse for those who choose to rely on themselves for salvation, here's the really great news. The gospel that we're here to be ambassadors of. There is great blessing for reliance on Christ. Same God who gave us creation and conscience that we might be held accountable also gave us a cross. Sent his son to die for the sins of the world. That's where Paul goes in verse 13. Christ redeemed us, bought us out of the slave market of sin. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. 
What's that mean? When he hung on that cross, he had your sin and my sin on him. Your sin, past, present, and future, the sin in our minds right at this moment was on Jesus Christ on that cross. Verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And I think about that wonderful truth. Just as there's an avalanche of, of wrath coming for those who choose to rely on themselves, there is a wonderful avalanche of God's grace for all who believe in, in Jesus. Romans 5 talks about it. Romans 5.15, he says, The free gift is not like the, the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, Adam, right, Many died through Adam's trespass. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And some of my favorite verses down in verse 20 of Romans 5, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's a pretty unique word in Greek. Some people say it could be translated grace superabounded all the more. Sin piles up, grace goes higher. Sin piles up, grace goes higher. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You relying on works of the law or are you relying on Jesus? Listen, is the Old Testament important? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is God's word. It is inspired. And we'll talk more about why did God give the law if it couldn't save us. That's, that's next week. But for now, what I want to say is you read the book of Hebrews, as I know my buddy Robert has been. You go through that book. It's showing those early believers that however great the Old Testament was and, and the people in the Old Testament were, Jesus is greater than all. You go through the book of Hebrews, you, you see in chapter 1 that Jesus is greater than angels. Chapter 3, he's greater than Moses. Chapter 7, he's greater than Abraham and Aaron the priest. Chapter 8, he brings a better covenant than they had to offer. In chapter 10, his sacrifice is better than those animal sacrifices. I want to close with one final picture from Pilgrim's Progress. When Christian was at the interpreter's house, he showed him a room filled with dust. And a guy came in that room and starts sweeping and the dust just goes everywhere to where people are coughing and, <coughs> and it's not getting clean. And then a, a young lady comes in with water and she, she pours water on the dust and, and, and wipes the room clean. Christian said to the interpreter, what means this? The interpreter answered him, This parlor is the heart of a man that was never sanctified by the sweet grace of the gospel. The dust is his original sin, and inward corruptions that have defiled the whole man. He that began to sweep at first is the law, but she that brought water and did sprinkle it is the gospel. Now where you saw that as soon as the first began to sweep, the dust did fly about that room, and could not be cleansed, but you were almost choked. This is to show you that the law, instead of cleansing the heart by its working from sin, 
revives sin, puts strength into it, increases it in the soul, even as it discovers and forbids it. For the law does not give power to subdue sin. He goes on, he says, As you saw the damsel sprinkle the room with water upon which it was cleansed, this is to show you that when the gospel comes and the sweet and gracious influences thereof to the heart, then I say, even as you saw the damsel lay the dust by sprinkling the floor with water, so is sin vanquished and subdued and the soul made clean through the faith of the gospel and consequently fit for the king of glory to inhabit. I love that picture. And I want to close by asking you, if you're standing on the brink, you're saying, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I don't know if I'm right before God. I want to ask you, are you striving by works of the law? I want to beg you to stop. There's a curse that comes with that. Or are you hearing with faith? Have you heard of Jesus Christ, the Savior who died for your sins in this morning? You'll make that choice to put your faith in Him alone. We don't know how much time we have. That plane crash over there is a fervent reminder. Thankfully, we, we saw people getting out. But none of us knows what happens the rest of today. Do you know that you're saved? And then if you do, I want to talk to you too. You may have started that way, but has it somewhere along the way become you trying in your own power, your own grit, and you've forgotten about the Holy Spirit and, and faith and the importance of the promises of God? I'm going to get real personal with you for a moment. Before first service, I only told Carolyn and another friend this, but I believe the Lord would have me share it today. Leading up to this series, I saw a lot about the Holy Spirit in this chapter and in chapter 5, and I prayed a prayer that I facetiously say I wish I had not prayed. I say it facetiously because deep down I'm glad I did. But God has showed me some things that are painful. Um, I prayed it before the beginning of this series. Lord, remind me how dependent I am on your Holy Spirit within me. Remind me that I, I can't do anything of value on my own because the flesh profits nothing. It is the Spirit who gives life. He's reminded me. There, there were a couple Sundays ago, in between services, I felt so weak that I didn't even feel like I could come out and face any of you, much less preach a second, second sermon. And I went in the bathroom. I didn't have to go to the bathroom. I was just in one of those stalls. And I was just praying, Lord, I am so weak right now. I don't even feel like preaching. May you give me strength through your Holy Spirit to go out there and do what you've called me to do. And he did. And I'll be honest, even before that, it's, it's an ongoing thing. Every Sunday, just about, I wake up with a stomach ache that I don't have any other day of the week. I wake up feeling that stomach ache. I wake up feeling tired. I wake up feeling a little extra desperate. And there's a big part of me that would like to say, Lord, please stop that for me. But there's another part of me that thanks him for that blessing because every Sunday before I come in here, I say, Lord, I know anything I do is all for naught. I need you to work and do what you please. And, and you've all felt that too, I'm sure. You've all got God's call on your life and you've felt that desperation. 
that, that sense that I can't do this on my own. I can't go talk to that person about Jesus on my own. I can't take this stand at work on my own. I go on and on. I can't say no to my friends on my own. That's when we say, Lord, help me. Help me live not in my own flesh, in my own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Is that where you are, Christian? Every day dependent, every day living by faith in the promises. Are you hearing with faith? Father, I thank you for this passage by Paul. It's a good reminder. And I pray that if there's anyone here that's saying, hey, I don't know if I'm saved, draw them to the Savior. Show them the futility of their own works. Show them the reality of the curse, but don't stop there. Show them the reality of the blessed Savior on a cross who became that curse for us. Draw them to that place where they say, Jesus, this morning's the morning. I know deep down I need you. I don't know where I'd go if I left this church. I need Jesus as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for his sacrifice for my sin. I trust in him. I trust in that sacrifice. I trust in his resurrection. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Draw them home, Lord. And for any Christians that have allowed themselves to get in a place where they're getting beat up by Moses again, maybe trying this flesh walk, trying in our own power, bring us back to that sweet place of surrender and faith and trust in the Holy Spirit within to enable us to walk in grace. We weren't just saved by grace at the beginning and then at the end. We're saved by grace in the past. We, we walk by grace now. And we'll reach heaven by grace in the future. Same is true of faith, from faith to faith. Help us grab that, live that way. Find the freedom in that. Lord, even as we take our offering this morning, I ask that you'd use it for the spreading of that good news. The blessing that comes in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.